Welcome to the 20-Minute Bible Study, a teaching podcast from Faith on Hill Church in Milwaukee, Oregon. My name's Adam. I'm the pastor at Faith on Hill. And while I put 20 minutes on the timer, why don't you open your Bibles to the book of 1 Samuel, chapter 25. Well, now that we have 20 minutes up on the timer, 1 Samuel chapter 25, verse 1 says that Samuel died. Now, of course, that implies that Samuel, who the book is named for, did not write all of 1 Samuel and certainly did not write any of 2 Samuel. <clears throat> there's disagreement. Well, I shouldn't say there's disagreement so much as there's just not consensus on who wrote the rest. Uh, some people have attributed it to scribes um, in the post-Babylonian captivity. Others have attributed it to Solomon. Others have attributed it to uh, David or one of David's uh, chief scribes in his era. Uh, I genuinely believe that the beginning of the book was written by Samuel um, and possibly other books of the Bible, including Judges, uh, written primarily by Samuel. Uh, but there's an understanding that the, the writing from this point on uh, was from a different source, and all the way through the editing was from a different source. It's generally understood now that most of the Hebrew scriptures um, had some level of editing post-Babylonian captivity. Now, maybe you know the story. Um, Ezra and Nehemiah, they go back and they rebuild the walls of Jerusalem, and then they rebuild the temple of Jerusalem. And there's a very famous story where someone finds in the rubble of the temple, they find the complete Hebrew scripture up to that point. Obviously, they wouldn't have had Ezra or Nehemiah. Those were still being written. Um, some of the minor prophets were still being written or had not prophesied yet. Uh, Daniel was completing his work. So they wouldn't have had the, the entirety of the, the Old Testament. And, and if you don't know, the Old Testament or the Hebrew Scripture can be used interchangeably. Uh, the Old Testament is the books of the Bible from Genesis through Malachi that lead up to the coming of Christ. And then the New Testament is the Gospels, the book of Acts, the writings of the Apostles, and the book of the Revelation. Some people like to use the word Hebrew Scripture uh, as a way to not be offensive to uh, Jewish neighbors and friends. And I use them interchangeably because I think in terms of if I was speaking in academia or if I was interacting with a Jewish neighbor or friend, I would probably out of politeness refer to it in such a way. Um, and at the same time, um, we have this idea that the, the, the Hebrew scriptures, the Old Testament, they are the testament of the Old Covenant. And the, uh, the New Testament, which by the way, other than Luke, the New Testament was primarily written by Hebrews, by Jewish men, um, that they are the, the account of the new covenant of grace. But anyway, there's this understanding that they found the old uh, scrolls, and they had some of them. Uh, we know that from the book of Daniel. Daniel, uh, in Daniel chapter 9, is reading the writings of the prophet Jeremiah. So they had some of the Bible, and they had oral tradition, but they didn't have the complete scriptures. And they were found in Jerusalem. And 
they were uh, so excited. And there's a story where the people um, set up a sort of a stage and the, the priests got up and read out loud the Bible because some of these people had never heard it before. And so they read it to all the people, making sure that everyone could experience the Bible, including those who were illiterate. And people began to weep and mourn and tear their clothes, which was the fashion of the culture then, of a sign of grief and mourning because they realized not only how sinful their ancestors had been, which had led to the Babylonian captivity, but they realized how sinful they were. And as God began to deal with their, their life and their heart, and they said, oh, Lord, we are so far from your ways, and they begin to grieve and weep and repent. But there's an understanding that the priests and the scribes, likely led by Ezra, uh, began to recopy and redistribute the Bible to the synagogues that were being established in Jerusalem as it began to be reclaimed by the Jewish people, and it also spread to the Jewish diaspora, you know, east to those still in captivity in Babylon, and west to those who had been spread out by the Assyrians or just by their own fleeing of the Assyrians and the Babylonians. And there were Jewish communities uh, all along the Mediterranean in what we now think of as Turkey and Greece and Italy and northern Africa and Egypt and Libya and so on. And so they began to recopy and then spread it. And as they did, there's an understanding that there was a certain amount of editing. Um, some of it is just to like, you know, explain to people like, hey, this is why they did that. Or um, they, instead of calling it by an ancient name, they might have translated it so that uh, it was referred to with a um, post-Babylonian captivity sense of, sensibility in terms of where things were and how things were called and such. <clears throat> Personally, Jesus didn't seem bothered by it, so I don't seem bothered by it at all. Um, in fact, more and more that I study how we got the Bible, the more and more I feel confident in, in the Bible as a book of history and as a, uh, the book that speaks authoritatively to God's work in our world and his plan for salvation. But Samuel died, and all Israel assembled to mourn for him and they buried him at his home in Ramah. Then David moved down into the desert of Paran. It's unclear here whether uh, David went to the burial. Saul certainly would have been there. It's interesting that the death of Samuel might have been an event where it was understood that David, even though the king was trying to kill him, even, even Saul said, no, David, you can come. Everybody gets to come to this. It's amazing how people who haven't talked to each other in decades will show up to the same funeral um, and that people can, in their death, bring people together who are parted. But the implication is, is that, that it was at that time that David moved into the desert. Uh, so it's possible that either he, um, he was there, he went to the funeral for, Saul, uh, for Samuel and then bailed right away, or he used the time of the funeral of Samuel to uh, vacate where he had been while Saul was at the funeral and he got going somewhere else so that he could get away from where uh, Saul was. Now, a certain man in Menon who had property there in Carmel was very wealthy. He had a thousand goats and three thousand sheep 
which he was shearing in Carmel. Now, uh, they didn't have money back then, the way that we do. I mean, they had coins. Uh, that was that existed. Um, but, but really, your wealth wasn't gauged in coins. It was gauged in livestock. It was gauged in servants. It was gauged in these other uh, intangibles that were uh, the basis of wealth. So this was an incredibly wealthy man. He had thousands of, of goats, thousands of sheep. Uh, he, had, he, was, he was very uh, well off in terms of livestock and the, the ability to feed and house the servants it took to have that many uh, sheep and goats. And he was an, int- uh, sorry, his name was Nabal or Nabal, and his wife's name was Abigail. She was an intelligent and beautiful woman, and her husband was surly and mean in his dealings, and he was a Calebite. So he is a descendant of Caleb, if you remember Joshua and Caleb, uh, the two spies that Moses sent into the promised land. There were 12 spies sent in, and 10 of the 12 came back and said, we can't take the promised land. And two of them, Joshua and Caleb, said, no, we can do it. God is with us. If God wants us here, he will provide, and he will, he will do the work. So he's a direct descendant of Caleb. And Caleb kind of had this reputation as being a hard charger. And, a, uh, you know, even in later years, in his 80s, he was still charging ahead. And so maybe the, the people who were the descendants of Caleb or who lived in the region that Caleb had settled had kind of gotten a reputation as being hard chargers, as being surly, as being stubborn. And that was the reputation that Nabal had. While David was in the wilderness, he heard that Nabal was shearing his sheep, so he sent ten young men and said to them, Go to Nabal at Carmel and greet him in my name, and say to him, Long life to you, good health to you in your household, and good health to all that is yours. Now I hear that it is sheep shearing time. And when your shepherds were with us, we did not mistreat them, and the whole time they were at Carmel, nothing was missing. Ask your own servants, and they will tell you, Therefore be favorable towards my men, Since we come at a festival time, please give your servants and your son David whatever you can find for them. When David's men arrived, they gave Nabal this message in David's name, and then they waited. Okay, so what's going on here is there's this incredibly rich guy named Nabal. And his servants had the the flocks out in the wilderness. It was the time of year where, uh, you know, uh, sheep are generally shorn in the springtime. Uh, so it's not unreasonable to think that the sheep had been sent out into the wilderness during the winter, uh, the one time of year where maybe there was enough vegetation for them to uh, graze on. And then in the summertime, they would go to better pastures. But while they're out there, David and his men are hiding out there. Now, if you show up with a bunch of sheep and, and, and these vast wandering herds that you're guiding as a shepherd, and then you find that there's this fugitive, David, and, and several hundred men with him who are just hiding out there. And maybe they don't have a lot of provisions. And you'd think, oh, you know, hey, what's one or two sheep? Nobody's going to notice. Hey, we could sneak into their camp at night and get some of their bread, get some of their cheese, take some of their wine. Nobody, who'd notice? And even if they did, what are they going to do about it? These are, these are several hundred warriors and mighty men, and David is a man of war. and They're just shepherds. What are they going to do? And David and his men, he, it, it, you get the implication, David made it clear, do not mess with these guys. Now, David himself was a shepherd in his upbringing. You might remember that from when we started the book of Samuel. So David might have just a, a say, hey, these are my guys. <laughs> these are my people. Let's not mess with them. But he, he does right by them. They are not harmed by their proximity to David. They, he says, hey, we, we, 
we were good neighbors to you. Now it's festival time. It's the sheep shearing. There's a time of, of festivity. And it's kind of like coming at Christmas and saying, hey, Merry Christmas. You know, uh, could you help us out? And so he does all of the right things, asking for some provision. And as they come into the summer months, they would have needed reprovisioning. So he just says, hey, can you help us out? Now, what is Nabal's response? First, he makes him wait. He's, he's big-dogging him. And then it says, verse 10, Nabal answered David's servants, Who is this David? Who is this son of Jesse? Many servants are breaking away from their masters these days. Why should I take my bread and water, the meat I have slaughtered for my shears, and give it to men coming from who knows where? Okay, first of all, who is David? Nabal knows exactly who David is. David is the most famous man in the kingdom after the king. David and Goliath isn't just one of the few Bible stories that literally everyone still knows about as we become a post-Christian society. People still know about David and Goliath. David was incredibly well-known. There was no, like, who's this guy? I've never heard of him. Obviously he has, but that's an insulting thing to say, right? You really want to, if you really want to mess with somebody, especially somebody who has any kind of ego, it's not that you insult them directly. It's that you pretend you don't know who they are. Never heard of them. It's, 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 a, it's, it's, it's this incredibly insulting and meant to be, meant to be insulting response. Many servants are breaking away from their masters these days. Now, that's an interesting commentary. That's probably true. I, I, I really love when the Bible gives us insights. The Bible is very focused on human interactions, human stories. But at the same time, it gives us these weird, or not weird, but just little insights into the bigger world that's going on as it often hyper-focuses on just a few people. It gives us little insights in what's going on in the wider world. And apparently during this time, it wasn't uncommon for if you were a, a wealthy man with a large herd, that all of a sudden you maybe your chief shepherd would say, hey, I'm, I'm, I'm done. And he would walk away with maybe like, let's say you had a thousand sheep, he'd take 200 with him and a couple of the shepherds and they'd break off and they'd go try to start their own deal. He said, this is happening all over the place. There's sort of an indication that society was not in a good place. Maybe there's a little bit of societal breakdown happening. Not surprising, quite honestly, when the king uh, is not doing what he's supposed to be doing. I mean, the king was supposed to defend the people. And who was it, remember last week, that went and saved this town that was under attack by the Philistines? It wasn't the king. It was David. Like, there, there, there was sort of an all-around breakdown in society starting to happen. And they were starting to return to the time of the judges. And if you want, you should really, if you're look, a great book of the Bible is the book of the judges. And um, it's not a pleasant read, but it's a insightful read. But it's this time where everybody just did what was right in their own eyes. And they didn't care about what God thought. They didn't care about what anybody else thought. I'm just going to do only what I want to do. And the people are starting to go back to that. So he says, but, but also by saying many servants are breaking away from their masters these days. What he's saying is two things. Again, he's minimizing David. Who is David? Who is the son of Jesse? Who is this guy? I don't care about him. Uh, he's, he's minimizing David in an insulting way. But he's also uh, saying, hey, he, he, he is apparently buys into the Saul narrative. The Saul narrative says that David was this rebellious servant who was un, ungrateful, unfaithful to his master, the king, and he's in rebellion. Now, we know that's not true. And by the way, a lot of people in Israel know that's not true. 
Uh, so it doesn't take long to figure out that Saul is not acting in the best interest of the people, but he's acting in his own best interest. So you can figure out, hey, maybe David's not the one to blame. But for whatever reason, Nabal is either choosing to believe the Saul narrative or he's using it for his own purposes. And he's incredibly insulting to David. You're, you are rebellious to the king. Why should I take my bread and give it to you? As if he's like, you know, starving. Like David's not going to a guy who's starving. He's going to a guy who has way more than he needs and saying, hey, can you help me out? And he's saying, no, I, I don't have anything for you. Verse 12, David's men turned around and went back. And when they arrived, they reported every word. And David said to his men, each of you strap on your sword. And so they did. And David strapped on his as well. And about 400 men went up with David while 200 stayed be, uh, with the supplies. And one of the servants told Abigail, Nabal's wife, David sent messengers from the wilderness to give to our master his greetings, but he hurled insults at them. Yet these men were very good to us, and they did not mistreat us. And the whole time we were out in the fields near them, nothing was missing. Night and day, they were a wall around us the whole time we were herding our sheep near them. Basically, he's saying, we never felt safer. Normal years when we go out to the wilderness to watch the sheep, we have to watch out for bandits. We have to watch for, you know, uh, predatory animals. We have to watch out for those who would come and try to steal the sheep or, or steal our stuff or get us. We have to be on our guard. We never felt safer or more protected while David and his men were near. Now, think it over and see what you can do because disaster is hanging over our master and this whole household. He is such a wicked man that no one can talk to him. Now, that's kind of a dangerous thing to do. But this is how desperate this servant feels. This servant goes to Abigail. Now, if Abigail wanted, she could throw the servant out on their ear. Or she could go to her husband and say, hey, do you know what the servant told me? And then the, the servant would face the wrath of this, this wicked man, Nabal. But he knows that the danger is so present for how horribly Nabal acted. It's like you get desperate times, call for desperate measures. So Abigail acted quickly, and she took 200 loaves of bread, two skins of wine, five dressed sheep, five seahs of roasted grain. That's probably about 60 pounds of roasted grain. And 100 cakes of raisins and 200 cakes of pressed figs and loaded them on donkeys. And she told her servants, go ahead and I'll follow you. But she did not tell her husband Nabal. And as she came riding her donkey into a mountain ravine, there was David and his men descending towards her, and they met them. And David, uh, David had just said, It has been useless, all my watching over this fellow's property in the wilderness, so that nothing of his was missing, and he has paid me back evil for good. May God deal with David, be it ever so severely, if by morning I leave alive one of the males of all who belong to him. And when Abigail saw David, she quickly got off her donkey and bowed down before David and with her face to the ground. And she fell at his feet and said, Pardon my servant, your Lord, and let me speak to you. Hear what your servant has to say. Please pay no attention, my Lord, to that wicked man, Nabal. He is just like his name. His name means fool, and folly goes with him. And as for me, your servant, I did not see the men my Lord sent. So she's saying, hey, I didn't know those guys were here. I would have treated them differently. Nabal is, is an idiot. And now, my Lord, as surely as the Lord your God gives you life, since the Lord has kept you from bloodshed and avenging yourself with your own hands, may your enemies and all who are intent on harming you be my, uh, harming my Lord be like Nabal. And let this gift which your servant brought to my Lord be given to the men who follow you. We're running out of time here, so I'll close by saying this. Here is somebody who knows the wrong that has been done. 
And now they go and they plead mercy. And in this way, Abigail is a picture of Jesus because she didn't do the wrong. She didn't. She wasn't there. She didn't do it. But she, on the behalf of the others who are now in danger from the wrong, come and make an offering of peace, just as Jesus has made an offering of peace on our behalf to the righteous judge. And it has been accepted. Well, we are out of time for another episode of the 20-Minute Bible Study. New episodes are released on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Facebook, and faithonhill.com. All the podcasts that Faith on Hill Church releases are on those platforms, and you can follow us at Faith on Hill on social media. We gather together on Sunday mornings at 10.30 a.m., both in person and online. My name's Adam. I want to thank you for joining us for another episode of the 20-Minute Bible Study.